Glasses and laptop. Well, I guys, have, strap I in. Have to, I have to. <laughs> <laughs> Add a turtle neck. Whoa. <laughs> Who called the librarian? Yeah. Guys, you can go now and come back in 10. <laughs> Shh, quiet in the back. back how you doing i'm okay you know i've had this thing where i'm seeing marketing materials for the last of us tv show yes and i need to now remind myself to remain calm okay because i'm like really overexcited for this tv show and i but i'm almost like not because i keep seeing it and being like "Ah, don't think about it it's a kind of it's a show that i have i am very protective over the characters in it and I have this weird sense where, like, you shouldn't be worrying. That's something that's very much out of your control. Why don't you just get on with your life, James? But also, I can't help but look on Twitter and look on YouTube. And I think um, there are certain uh, giveaways during the lead up to something coming out, which I think indicate whether or not something is going to be good. Right. And it's usually the ways in which uh, the people who made it start associating themselves heavily mm. with something that's coming out. So when I see, like the people who aren't necessarily attached to on like creating and directing are like jumping on being like, I've seen what they've done here. I think it's really special. Mm. I think everyone's going to love this. I get this sense of like, mm. I think this is going to be good. And the same way, I'm also like, don't get your hopes up. Chances are you're not going to like it. You're going to dislike some part of it. But basically, I'm really excited and I need to remind myself to calm down. Has that happened with The Last of Us? That people are jumping on it and going, oh, guys, people are going to be very excited for this. Like I said, I think people will want to start associating with a good thing if they think it's good. Like if, 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 but if it's yet to happen. When is, when is it coming out? Uh, January. Right. And like, I think when something is bad, I think people who know that, oh, there are creative differences and they're two different directions putting it one way, I think people won't necessarily jump on a bandwagon and be like, guys, I can't wait to share what this, I've seen what they've done. Like the original voice actors who are a part of it, who obviously attach will be like, guys, I'm absolutely in love with what they've done with this. Mm. You're going to love it. Whereas I think if it was bad and if they knew it wasn't good they would almost like take a step back i think and then i spoke about it months ago when i said i was quite excited because the original writer and the creative director very heavily involved you got the talent from the likes of the chernobyl show very heavily involved and i'm just like you've got the same um, composer lots of the same people that are involved and i'm just like oh my god so it's quite nice that really you're you're a bit like a child again. You're really mm. giddily excited for something. Yeah. That's rare. That should be cherished. Yeah. It's one of those stories I've spoken about that's really stuck with me. Characters and things I, I feel very yeah, protective really, over. You really did love that game. Oh, you? yeah, yeah. It, I mean, uh, I changed, I it changed the game. It did change the game. I, mean, I recognised, yeah, I mean, I came, out, I came to it about a year late, but this isn't a video game podcast. But It's um, not, but it will be content worth so talking about. So this is about. the real test. We'll though, come into our Venn diagram. It's the first video game adaptation, which is a TV show. High profile, at least. Is that true? No, Halo. They did Halo on Paramount Plus. Very unsuccessfully. Yes. I don't think people have received it very well. Not so Halo guys. Here we go. But then, but then, The Last of Us was so narrative led and character led. It's basically a TV show. That will be one of our early reviews. Then I guess next year. I guess until the age. Oh, you know you will. But I love <laughs> the fact that every time you see a picture, you're like, Whoa. I'm like, just don't. I'm like, just don't. Don't. Th- I'm like trying not to have it occupy my brain space. But now I'm in this very weird toxic so you don't cycle get, of excitement because you don't want to get too overexcited and then be disappointed. You kind of yep. want to go in so low that you can only be impressed. Yes. Because you, the idea of not enjoying it really crushes you. Yeah, uh, less not enjoying it, more that like I really wish they hadn't gone there. I really wish they'd left what was there yeah. that's great. I, it's more like touching something good. Okay. That's, what, that's how I am in December, apart from everything else. Are you, are you well <laughs> otherwise? 
Yeah, otherwise, well, a bit tired, starting to like oh, really feel yeah. like I need the, the break. Shorter days, the shorter the days, darkness, yeah. the cold. It's got cold now. Shocker, December, Ooh, yeah. Britain, who knew? But we've had a sort of. We've had a very mild year. A very mild oh, year. Yeah. And of all the years oh, to have all one. Years, I know. With the, I mean, a very hot summer too, James. My goodness. With this global warming thing. Uh, it's stopped? real. It's real. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's not a way to start the yeah, show. Separately, just while we're on video, ga video game stuff, did you see the trailer for the Mario movie? Yeah, with Chris Pratt as Mario. Uh, yeah, and I, I was just like uh, Keegan Michael Keys in there. As just a lot of just a lot of um, uh, moments, colourful moments. Yeah, I don't. I didn't come away with it thinking. Oh, I'm I've said this a thousand times, but it's got the classic reduced piano theme of a once beloved yeah. old yeah. R.I.P. Which there. they also did with the Indiana Jones trailer. If you saw oh, that, yes, as I well. did see that. How do you dun, feel about that? Um, there is some very dodgy uh, Irishman esque CGI in that. I saw of, already. Of I went uncanny. Whoa. And it's like, I don't mind them putting in like a deep fake Harrison Ford when he's younger. I'm all for that. I don't like it when Harrison Ford plays a young deep faked Harrison yeah. Ford. So <laughs> yeah. if they get 80 year old Harrison Ford to play 24 year old Indiana Jones, that's where I'm a little bit. I don't, this is a niche reference for people who ever edit video, but there's a stabilizer effect you use on video. And when it goes really wrong, it, wrong, it like warps the corners of the screen and you just go, oh, I can't stabilize this and take it off. It looks like they've done that to his face. <laughs> And I feel like that's always been the case when I've seen like, you know, Leia and Grandma yeah, Tarkin yeah, yeah. and all of this. Sort of, I actually think the best one was Samuel Jackson and Captain Marvel, the de-aging that I've seen. Yeah, I think Marvel did, usually does it quite well. Actually, um, Michael Douglas in, in, um, in, in Endgame. And no, Ant-Man. Oh, and Ant-Man. Oh, and, 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 and Endgame. Endgame. Kurt yeah. Russell in Guardians. Yeah, all, all the Marvel stuff's been yeah. pretty good. It's amazing that how it isn't consistent though. Could yeah. you go to Star Wars a bit? I, didn't, I thought Grandma Tarkin just about worked. Just. And the layer thing. And Luke in Mandalorian, not really. No. No. I, it, it got away with it because of how well crafted I think that moment was. Yeah. But I think looking we're, back in we're all even just We were all years, just pretending. Like, we were like defocusing our eyes. Yeah, so just, we just quite squinting. See the, squinting. So we, so we don't see the, uh, <laughs> the brush strokes. Through the rose tinted. You know, so denied of that yes. lightsaber that when you get it, yeah. you're like, oh, it's okay. You I'm know just, me. I'm just happy to be it, here. It is genuinely one of my favorite things when they get an actor and they de-age him and it's so spot on. Mm. Like when I saw Guardians 2, I was like, that at the beginning with Kurt yeah. Russell, I was like, this is incredible. This mm. is like magic. I can't believe how accurate he looks. That Those TikTok deepfakes as well. Yeah, that I, I, always, I always don't like to linger on those too long because I don't want to condone deepfakes. You don't much. know what you're going to see that you won't know it's a deepfake. And in one time it's going to be me. And then I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. No, what? I didn't say that. I think maybe that's the sign we've done well. If we ever get deepfake, I don't want to. I, 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 I can't wait when we get cancelled and I'll just be like, it was a deepfake. It's <laughs> fake news. That wasn't yeah. me. These people, yeah. they, they're lying. They're lying. <laughs> That'll be my out. What a, what a start to the show. Anyway, look, it's December. It's Christmas. Let's get on. Let's see what else we've got to talk about. James, just a bit of news I want to talk about mm -hmm. is that the Sight and Sound, mm. which is the official magazine of the BFI, the British Film Institute, which is a 90-year-old magazine, uh, a pillar of film criticism, both in the UK and worldwide, actually, a very highly regarded cornerstone of film criticism uh, across the world. Great cinemas. Has... What? They have great cinemas. The BFI? Yeah. Yes, the BFI. Has, I think there's Sight and Sound. Yes, the BFI. Have, yeah. They do have good cinemas. Yeah, absolutely lovely. Sight and Sound, every decade, release a poll of the greatest films of all time. It started in 1952, and they asked, uh, asked a bunch of critics 
uh, pulled together their favorite uh, films and created a pop from that, and it grew and grew and grew. And then over the years, they've actually expanded it and included directors. Now, basically, they open up to the whole industry of creatives, critics, curators, and audience members alike to get together to vote in a poll. From 1952 to 2002, no, 1962 to 2002, the top spot was Citizen Kane. Okay. And then in 2012, it was knocked off the top spot by Vertigo. Okay. Okay. So here we are again in the next decade, 2022, the latest issue of the poll. Avatar 2. <laughs> the latest version of the poll is now out. Mm. And I thought it would be remiss if we did not talk about Let's it. Let's do it. And I'm just going to give you the intro they, they, they have written here for those who people who don't know. In 1952, the Sight and Sound team had the novel idea of asking critics to name the greatest films of all time. The tradition became decennial. First time I've ever seen the word decennial written down, meaning every decade. Who knew? Love that, yeah. I mean, H- they How did. often do you get to use that word, really? No, it happens no. decennially. Yeah. Um, increasing in size and prestige as the decades pass. The Sight and Sound poll is now a major bellwether of critical opinion on cinema and this year's edition, which is the eighth, is the largest ever with 1,600 139 participating critics, programmers, creators, archivists, academics, each submitting their top 10 ballots. That's how it works. Each person submits their top 10 favorite films and nice. that's aggregated into a, a group yep, of 100. I get that, okay. okay. So what has risen the ranks? What has fallen? Has 2012's winner Vertigo held on to the title? Okay, so... Um, are you going to go... Are you going to go to the top 10? I'm going to go to the top... I'm going to... Well, here's the thing. I wanted to bring this poll up because we've had a lot of emails recently talking about... How are people going to like get in touch with like film traditions yes, and did. film history and things outside of that? And I'll go through the top 10 and you'll quickly realize that a lot of these films- I've seen probably very few. Very few of them and heard of even less, you know, even less. Right? And, what, and just before you go into it, what an amazing tool for someone who's going, wow, I really feel like I want to connect with films that have completely passed me by, completely yes. before my age. I don't have anyone, parent, friend, teacher who is able to yes. point me in the right direction. What a menu of things to start. Exactly. And you know, you and I have talked about a lot of films on this show we have barely scratched the surface when you look at Fantastic. films like this okay it's not the dark knight <laughs> <laughs> i'll give you the top 10 and i'll run through them relatively quickly because some like of them 10 to 1 i think we should shouldn't we yeah yeah it's more fun that way so i mean first of all do you want to have any guesses about what might be in the top 10 that you think of the greatest films of all time as voted for by all those people <sighs> i want to say because bad boys 2 bad boys 2 <laughs> point freak uh I think it's going to be something like a Mulholland Drive prediction, but I don't think I'll know many of them. Mulholland Drive is in the top 10. It is in the top 10. Okay. It, is Vertigo still there? Yes. Is, um, mm, okay, I'll, I'll try and guess one more. Is Serpico there? Serpico? No, 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 no. no. Is, no, I'm going to leave it. Go on. Okay. I don't think I'll know many of them. And number 10, according to the BFI, Sight and Sound, greatest films of all time, is Singing in the Rain. Okay. Yeah, I wouldn't argue with that. Good yeah. film. I would happily watch it again. I've only seen it once, but I thought it was very good. I think filmy people love it because it's very self-reflexive about filmmaking. And there you go. And they say, of course, that Hollywood's troubled transition from silent talking pictures at the end of the 1920s provided the inspiration for perhaps the greatest of movie musicals. Okay. Number nine, a film I've never heard of, and I'll just save you guessing, James, Man with a Movie Camera. It's a 1929- I've heard of that. Oh, okay. Oh, I don't know anything about right, the title. The title, yeah. Uh, Russian um, uh, film from 1929, directed by Ziga Vertov. Bottomless invention and frenetic dizzying montage makes the City Symphony one of cinema's sharpest, most exciting experiences nearly a century after its release. Well, great. Love that. Number eight is a film- Sorry, did you say 29? 
That was 1929. Okay, exactly. so is that one of the oldest on the list? How, how that's a while uh, ago. I okay. don't know. No, no, uh, I can already see a number 11 was a film that came out in 1927. Okay, um, all right. So, and number eight is a film you mentioned, David Lynch's Mulholland Drive. Oh, okay, all right. A film I really struggle to get on board with. And I always yet. feel like such a inadequate film person because you meet filmy right. people and they're like, you didn't like Mulholland Drive. <laughs> what were you talking about? What are you talking about? And you it's a, a genius. It's a disturbed Can't nightmare of someone who's lost their lost their way in the doomed fantasy of Hollywood. Did you not see that? I'm like, no, I did see it. I just you know, didn't get along with it. Um, what Sign Sound says, Hollywood is dark and dangerous, yet alluring. Yeah, I know. Okay. In David Lynch's acclaimed thriller. Mm-hmm. Number seven, a film you're not going to guess, but a film I have mentioned. I mentioned it in our Double Bills episode when I said it would make a great double bill with Top Gun. Do you remember what that was? Oh, um, it's a French thing. Yeah. It was called... I can't remember the title, but it's got a very like contrasty shadow with yes. bright things. Yeah. I can't remember the title of it. Well, I'm picturing the poster in my mind. Exactly. It's uh, the 1998 French film, Beautreville, Beautreville by Claire Denis. It. And the picture they've used is the picture I talked about the moment seeing the film with their white they're, chest. They're, they're, the, they're hugging yes, each other yes. violently. Beautreville, number seven. Number six. Can you th- got a recommendation that's made it into top ten. Yeah, yeah I'm glad they listened. Box Mulholland Drive. Number six. Okay, uh, very, very famous film. Uh, I think you could you could easily make a good guess for this. Are you going to guess it? Uh, there's no point. Just go for it. Let me do that again. And number six, a film we have all seen and heard of, 2001, A Space Odyssey. Okay. Stanley- oh, I should have really guessed that. I know, but James. There you go. 1968, Stanley Kubrick. Okay, number, now we're into the top five. Okay. Number five, Wong Kar Wai's 2000 film, In the Mood for Love. Have you seen it? No. Very beautiful to look at. A, a stunning. And it's about, so. it's about, I mean, how do they describe it here? Wong Kar Wai's masterpiece is a heartbreaking story of illicit love that pulses with the ache of repressed desire. It's the story of these two neighbors, if I remember this correctly, who they discover that their other halves have had an affair with each other, I believe. Oh. And there's this kind of implicit sort of uh, expectation for them to sort of, also, they have the shared connection, the shared attraction, but it's very understated. Are they going to make a move? What's oh. the thing? And it's wonderfully shot. Oh my god, amazing! A um, little slow, okay, for my taste. But you know, I mean, don't shoot me, cinephiles. Okay, I'm just thought I'd say it. Number four, the army of critics behind the camera. Yeah, How dare you, guns, Mark yeah. Kermo Just takes me <laughs> yeah. out with a sniper. Yeah. Number four, Tokyo Story from 1953 by uh, Uzo, which I haven't seen any Uzo films. And I know Tokyo Story is meant to be amazing. Mm -hmm. It's on the list for a while. Number three is the film that was number one for ages. No, no, no. The film that was number one for ages, which was Citizen Kane. Uh, Right, okay. Citizen Kane, seen it? Uh, No, no, not seen Citizen Kane. You know, it is the Citizen Kane of of movies. It is, it is, it is actually. I I said like, well, it's not Citizen Kane and I've not seen Citizen Kane, but I know it as that. I will say, having seen it, you do watch and you go, oh yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty, oh, that (laughs) shot was pretty advanced for its time. That was pretty good. It's a pretty good story. (laughs) You in the 21st century, guys, this is, this guy was just really good. They didn't invent cinema two weeks ago. You know, this guy knew what he was doing. Okay. Okay, now we're into the top two. Just tell me this. Do you think Vertigo is the number one film? Uh, I'm going to say just from the way you framed it, no. Oh, okay. Uh, but, I probably should have thought about that yeah. before. <laughs> I'm going to say no. I'm going to say something like... Ooh, You'd be know. correct. And number two is Vertigo. Okay. Um, 1958, Alfred Hitchcock. James, Vertigo, seen it? Uh, yes, not well, a long time ago. I weirdly watched Hitchcock, Hitchcock quite young and mm. have not properly caught up with it as a grown-up. Mm. Yeah. That's where I'm at. I, I have seen Vertigo. Last time I saw it was about seven years ago. Okay. Again, I watched it very young and it really threw me. Yeah, like maybe early teens. Yeah. But uh, I, I think I watched it when I was like 11. And it went way over my head. Very, 
I mean, as they describe here, a former detective with a fear of heights is hired to follow a woman apparently possessed by the past in Alfred Hitchcock's timeless thriller, thriller about obsession. And it is good. There are moments, I think what makes Vertigo so compelling for people is that you have this conventional detective noir story elevated by almost like psychedelic visuals made in 1958, you know, pre-psychedelia. Yeah. Um, very sort of uh, psychosexual, obsessive, really uses the elements of film and cinematography to tell that. And it is glorious to look at, but that is not number God one. God bless you for like boiling that down into three sentences really well. Thank you very much. Uh, number one is a film I don't think you've heard of. I'm just going to assume you haven't heard That's of. That's fine. I, I... It's a film I have heard of, but I haven't seen. And I'll tell you why once I've mm-hmm. described it. Okay. Number one, the number one film according to the Science Sound Poll, the greatest of all time, is Jean Dealman, Jean, Jean 23, Quai du Commerce, 1080, Brussels. I know, I know the title of this film. Yeah. I don't know anything about it. Do you well, know the, the coffee table book, A Thousand and One Films to See Before You Die? Yes, and that's yes. always in and there. And that's where I will have seen yeah, it. I mean, yeah. Uh, a magnificent epic of experimental cinema offering feminist perspective on recurrent events of everyday life. If you hadn't heard of uh, Jean Dealman, Jean Jean Dealman, as I'm just going to say it in my very mm-hmm. English way, it's a Belgian film from 1975 in which uh, it follows the the very mundane life of a housewife, Jean Dealman, as she goes about her day. But I think in observing the mundane minutiae of her life, mm. you start to observe the more universal, beautiful elements, and also how her life is slowly unraveling in certain ways, and how she's just doing making ends meet to protect and work for her son. Now. When the poll was revealed, one of my film friends messaged me and said, have you ever seen Gene Dealman? And I said, you know, funnily enough, I've never actually found time to watch a three and a half hour Belgian film about a woman who's going through the mundane details of being a Belgian housewife. (laughs) But here we are. It's the three and a half hour uh, number one top spot on on the Christmas list. On the sites that... Sure, sure. Um, no, no, I, I expect a comprehensive it's, it's experimental, review from It's George. experimental cinema. It's very formal. And the thing is, it's an exercise in, in formality. So you will have long stretches of nothing happening. And that's fine. Question. Was that, not that you necessarily studied the, the list from the previous decade, but was that in the top 10? Has it been fighting for a top place and has just now been, like, has had a resurgence in opinions so, in the last 10 they've years? They've widened and widened the amount of people that can be included in, in the in the voting, which Mm -hmm. is right, you know, to diversify the uh, votership, which is great. Um, The first time that that film was in the top 10 was 10 years ago, where it was number 35. Right, And now it's number one. So it's like, whoa. Big jump. Big jump. But I also want to bring up one other thing. So those are the... uh, um, if, if, if you're listening to this and you're like, I've never heard of any of those films, that's fine. That's the so good thing. Fine. That's the exciting thing. Type in the greatest films of all time, Sight and Sound, BFI, and you'll come up with this list and have a look through and see what interests you, see what you fancy pursuing and fancy looking up. They also did a separate poll which had just ranked all the director's choices. So obviously uh, okay. this was an aggregated one, but they had another one which was just the director's choices to show what they came through. And yeah. the results are interesting. Different number one, I believe. I think it was Vertigo number one for the director's one. Yeah. Yeah, number... Okay, can you guess what was number one in the director's poll? Vertigo? Uh, no. Did you just tell me that? No, but I was wrong. Uh, Vertigo is number six. I'll give it to you. I'll just give you the top ten. Okay, yeah. So, uh, joint... Uh, there's the triple ninth. Joint ninth is Close Up by Abbas Kiarostami from Iran, 1989. Is Apocalypse Now up there? Apocalypse Now is, but it's not in the top 10. Okay. It's number 18. This is okay. in the director's right. poll. Yeah. Uh, in the Mood for Love at number nine. Persona, Ingmar Bergman at number okay. nine. Then oh, Mirror, Persona. Andre Tarkovsky at number eight. Yeah. Followed by Joint number six, 
Eight and a Half, the Fellini film, Vertigo, Alfred Hitchcock, then Joint Fourth, Gene Dealman, and then Tokyo Story, and then Three, Two, One, at number three, The Godfather, at number two, mm. Citizen Kane, at number one, 2001. We should do some... We should, you and I, when there's time, should just jump into one of these and be like, hey, this is a top 10 based on whatever this little, little list you want to do out. Like, why don't we? I mean, we talked mm. about Tarkovsky at one point when we ever get time to do that. That would be amazing. Um, but yeah, I'd love to hear from um, people, uh, who've, people seen who've seen these films. If any of these caught you by surprise, if you've seen any of these and want to also like, go, hey, like that one's on the list. You should definitely see it. Yeah. It's really good. Please write in. And uh, if you want to write, yeah, write in and say, George, for goodness sake, One Car Wai and In the Mood for Love is not a slow film, for goodness sake. Yes. Um, let me know. But I would also just like to say, as this is now 2022, there have been films released in the past 10 years since the past poll. Do you want to know the three films that have come out in the past decade that have made it into the top 100 films of all time? Or would you like to guess? Uh, In the last 10 years? Yes. So since the last poll in 2012, three films that have come out in the time since then are now in there. Parasite? Moonlight? Yes. Yes, both right. And the best picture winners. And... Social network? No. Um, let's go. Twelve years a slave too late. No. Let's go. Um, no, go on. Tell me. A film that people really enjoyed because they were like, "Oh, that film really discusses and tackles that subject matter in a really interesting and different way." Uh, it's still quite broad. But go on. Get out. Ah, oh, okay. Um, there's one more as well, which is Portrait of a Lady on Fire by Celine uh, Sciamma, okay. which, which is at number thirty. Uh, Moonlight is at. Get Out's at number five, 95. Paris- Get Out. I mean, it's a great yeah. film, but I think to be on that, nothing to take away from it, but I'm surprised. I know. I'll admit I'm surprised. Parasite's at number 90, and Moonlight's at number 60, and there we go. So there we are messily running through BFI. So, uh, blah, blah, blah. There we are messily running through Sight and Sound's poll of the year, uh, of the decade. Important to mention because... It is a landmark poll. Everyone looks forward to that every 10 years. George, that was amazing. But actually, we need to talk about the Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special. (laughs) (laughs) That was fantastic. James, it's December. It's Christmas time. There's always new Christmas content coming out. This year, we've been given the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special, Mm -hmm. a 45-minute thing that's come out on Disney+. Tell me about it. The Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special is a short, what was it, 45 minutes? 45 minutes. Special that came onto Disney Plus. Very much feel like it's sort of in the road to promo for Guardians 3. They dropped a trailer the week it came out, which I thought was quite good. Um, This is set after the events of Avengers Endgame. We are picking up very loosely with the Guardians. Mm -hmm. You've got Chris Pratt playing Peter Quill, who is very sad and very depressed. As we all know, Peter Quill acts as this vertical slice of 80s culture Mm -hmm. uh, from planet Earth. And no one around him really understands what the hell he's talking about. They don't get his cultural touchstones. And he's very depressed because he lost the love of his life in the the, the infinity wars Mm. of Gamora. Uh, He lost Gamora. Look at you building the lore. Look at me. I'm trying to just dip my toe in. And um, the sad thing is that Gamora died to get the Soul Stone to Thanos. But what did happen through the use of time travel is that they were able to get a different version of Gamora back to... 2014 uh, Gamora. 2014 Gamora, who is not in love with Peter Quill. And of course, that's getting him down. And um, 
Dave Bautista's Drax and Pom Clemente's Mantis are looking at Peter Quill going, God, he's just so sad. There's only something we could do to cheer him up. You know what I've just realized? If we look at our galaxy calendars, it is Christmas back on Earth. What's Christmas all about? And they said, well, you know who Peter Quill always goes on about? Actually, I'm not going to... It's in the trailer. And it's in the opening credits. You know know what Peter Quill always goes on about? Kevin Bacon. He's the hero. I mean, mm. he, he played a man. Oh, no, he was the man yeah. who saved a town by I dancing. Mm. And Peter Quill saved an entire galaxy. Mm. What if you and I, to cheer Peter Quill up, went back and got him Kevin Bacon as a present? And this is a, this is a special which I had barely thought about, had barely looked at, and my expectations were neither high nor low, just almost non-existent. Yeah. This is a really silly special, but I didn't mind it being silly Mm -hmm. at all. To me, it didn't overstay its welcome. Mantis and Drax are two characters that are quite evenly comedically aligned because they are lacking a certain self-awareness. They don't really have an ability to not tell the truth. And they both sort of have this fish-out-of-water style comedy where they go to planet Earth and they walk along Hollywood Boulevard and they break into Kevin Bacon's house to essentially try and kidnap him. And um, that's basically what happens. There are two musical numbers in this, uh, in this well, songs. Yeah. The bit What's opening, the, the Christmas song in the beginning. Yeah. And then when, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. There, are two, there are two opening numbers in this. If you are expecting... Kang to come in and reveal more or to hear more about the Guardians and their place within this universe, I think you will be disappointed. But as a very, like, very little skin in the game, very little skin coming out, isn't it nice we've got a cosy Christmas? Sorry, that's a siren on our end. Very nice cosy Christmas thing. I didn't mind it at all. George, how did you feel about it? Oh, James, I'm so You didn't like it? Uh, I'm just not quite up there with you. I think it's one of the better Marvel films that have come out this, this year. If me trying to remember the fact that I couldn't remember how many music numbers were in a f- something that I watched less than 24 hours ago yeah. tells you anything. Um, here's the thing with Guardians of the Galaxy, the holiday special. When you watch something like that with characters you love, characters mm-hmm. you enjoy, you want to come away, with, especially with the Christmas content, with a warm, fuzzy, kind of happy feeling uh, inside you. I found that very hard to do when I could not get past the feeling the lingering feeling that this is a cold, cynical, corporate uh, decided placeholder to (laughs) to put, that Marvel has put, to keep audiences audiences, aligned. Because it's been a while since we've had a Guardians of the Galaxy film, right? And they're they're teeing us up for Guardians 3. When is Guardians 3 out? Next year. I think springtime, maybe. Now, that is a very cynical view on my part. But when the the whole thing began, and we're we're reunited with the Guardians, Mm. I just suddenly thought, I have actually no idea where Who these guys are anymore. Yeah. I don't know emotionally where they are. I know where Quill is a little bit, but I don't know where we are. And they say, okay, we're on nowhere. We're doing this. And I found there was a lot of exposition. Really? For, uh, yeah, with, I'll let you finish. With, with, with Quill, also, you said that like, oh, he's so heartbroken about Gamora. Yeah, only because Mantis tells Drax that via dialogue. For me to emotionally yes. really get into this film, I would have loved to have seen a bit of like emotional pain on Quill's part. If they could just show me that, show me him being sad. Instead of Chris Pat just like having a very straight face and Mantis saying, he's very sad, we must do this. There's a very sort of hokey bit at the beginning when they're all on the balcony and they're like, I've heard of Christmas. What's Christmas? Oh, it's this amazing thing. I think I'd like to do that. Insert joke here. Look, it's... Um, I think you've massively over... No, 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 no. I, I, I don't, don't criticise me about overthinking, James. <laughs> it is... Um, uh, I think 
no, I, I, do you know what it was? Is that it, I just found it really naff. And I was like, is it being deliberately naff? Or is it being uh, accidentally naff? And I found it was more accidentally naff than deliberately. So look, I think there's still plenty of stuff to enjoy. It's always, Dave Batista is always great as Drax and Pom Clementif is Mantis is fine, even though, I, I, here's the other thing, cynical thing I thought. It's like, yeah. God, it's Galaxy Holiday Special, yeah. With Except Drax it's Drax and, and Mantis on planet Earth. So it costs us less money. I think your point about it being a cheap, I didn't say cheap, water, not cheap, sort of a watermarked reminder for the Guardians. Like, yeah. remember them? We've not forgotten them. Yeah. I know they turned up in Thor. Here they are again. Yeah. Not quite your main meal yet. That being said, I still think they probably took that instruction and went, okay, let's just not try to do what I think a lot of Marvel films have done, which is kind of reinvent the wheel every single time. No, I know. Replan I know, the. I know. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying, like, from my opinion, I was almost a little bit relieved it was just a comedy set. It was basically one comedy an idea. Episode. An episode. Really like yeah, an episode of the TV show. If, this, if you were going to get a 24 episode Guardian season, that's what it would look like. The Christmas episode. Yes. Yeah. I agree. But that's... <laughs> and I was reminded while watching it, I was like, yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing these characters again. Mm. I was more thinking... Look, I like Guardians a lot. You do, Guardians, yeah. Guardians 1 is like one of my favorite Marvel films. Mm -hmm. I went to the Secret Cinema thing recently. I, I, I'm always happy to see those characters. But I thought it was just like contrived episode scene followed by contrived episode scene where uh, let's have a bit where they go down Hollywood Boulevard and then let's get them to get walk down the thing. And it felt for me like treading water, killing time. Um, when Kevin Bacon sang, that's what I was like. Okay, here we are. <laughs> here we <go. laughs> I was like, this is dumb. Uh, Kevin Bacon is perfectly game for it. Well, why wouldn't he be? Yeah. Um yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just a bit. You don't I just, I just felt it didn't give me much you as know, a Christmas we'll, feeling, we'll and, and like, and I just thought, come on, guys, can we not up the ante a little bit? It felt a little bit when they turned the lights on. Chris Pratt had the blankest expression on his face. I was like, give me a bit of wonder. Do, I just, you, think he, do you think he did three days filming? I, I, I that, <laughs> that's the thing. I think he was in one location. I think the act, you can tell the actors are a bit like, why are we doing this for? Are we? It's not in my contract. To, yeah, I have to. Okay. Yeah. Um, did it, did it make you barely laugh? in it? No, it made me... He's barely in all of them. Yeah, he's barely in this one, though. But he's barely, barely <laughs> you, in this one. What, uh, did you, it make me what do you want Groot to do or say? Um, well, <laughs> we are says. Groot. Um, look, uh, did it make me laugh? No. There was one bit I went, huh, um, which is Mantis in a bar. I don't... Look, it's, it's heart's in the right place. Yeah. No problem. But I, I don't know. Again, you're right. I'm definitely, definitely more than likely thinking, overthinking it. Yeah. But there was a moment where I just thought, I feel like I'm watching an episode of a show in its 10th season. You know, like when you're watching- Tired, you, yeah. Something you used to love, and now we've been reduced to um, a caper, like Drax the Destroyer is now jumping over fences in, in well, um, is, the Be well, Beverly Hills. Marvel is technically in I, That's my point. And I, was, I, I sure. can't, I, I, every time I return to a Marvel thing now, I have this increased feeling of, oh God, I don't really care. But I accept, as you said, when we did Thor, Love and Thunder, all that stuff, like, yeah. We're growing out of it, maybe. Maybe it's not targeted at me. I'd be interested to know if, if other people liked it. And I'm really sorry that I'm, I, I, th I think when, when you read the title, Guardians Holiday Christmas Special, whatever it was, I go, okay, this is going to be silly. And I was a little bit relieved they didn't try to do anything more than what they did. That's kind of what... Because I, I think if you overtouch Quill, who's yes. basically the character we're really... We, what we really care about, what's going to happen to. Like, at the moment, I don't think any other of the Guardians are really that... I'm not really tuning in for them. They're like fun comedic foils to Quill. Yes, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of glad in this 45 minute special about Christmas, you didn't go and give me all of this stuff I need to like no, remember. No, sure, I sure. think a lot of people who have not been paying attention to Marvel who saw Guardians 1 and 2 can very easily just jump into that and have a good time. And it, so for that, I will credit okay, it. Okay, fine. I would say, yes, it was silly. Absolutely. But it wasn't very fun. 
I found it They're fun. Two different things. I was like mildly watching it, going, "Yeah, this is this is dumb and very inoffensive." Okay, and I'll take it for that. Okay, I mean, yep, fine. But uh, yeah, I, I I will forget. I have pretty much forgotten it, and I will I will move on from it quickly. It, but if you guys watch it, it's only forty five minutes, and it, I'm I'm not anti Christmas. Believe me, it probably ranks like third on my Marvel content of twenty twenty two. Wow, it yeah. probably what's three. higher than that? Loki. That was this. That was last year. Okay. Uh, is it? Yeah, it was last year. Fuck. What else was this year? Um, <laughs> maybe it's higher. <laughs> uh, this year was Thor, um, uh, Black Panther. Two. Mm, maybe uh, drawing at the moment. Uh, what was earlier in the year? Oh God. Eternals. No, that was no. last year. Shang Chi was last year. Doctor Strange in no. the Multiverse of Madness. Is this, one, is this the best Marvel thing I saw in 2022? That's it. There's be. your headline, James. It could be. And you know what? I wouldn't disagree. Uh, you know what? I might have to give it to Black Panther. Only like just, just because that's doing quite a lot more than wow. this is. Even if like I didn't love it, that's. But it. That, wow. Tell me another Marvel thing I enjoyed more than that. Wow. Um, fair enough. If you guys liked the Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special, holiday special rather. Uh, I did like that the opening titles used a font, which I'm pretty sure is the same font that they used in the Muppets Christmas Carol. Oh, nice. And I was like, look, also, I'm, all, I'm fully aware that James Gunn always puts in lots of little details and lots of fun little moments. Oh, yeah. And I think I've been a little bit mean. I liked that the, the Christmasness in the end was, was fine, but it, it was just fine. Let us know what you thought, guys, if you've seen it and uh, if it hit the spot for you. What more, realistically, could it have... And I'm not challenging our opinion. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to unpack Sounds it. I don't like think you're wrong. What, what more, like, realistically, do you think it should have tried to do in that? Like, what, what kind of holiday special would you have, would you have been like, that's exactly I what I wanted? I just wish I'd, 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 I'd want to emotionally care more. Yeah. about these characters that I haven't spent a lot of time with. Yeah. I haven't seen these characters in a while, so you can't just suddenly say to me, that guy you last saw four years ago, he's sad, so we need to do something for him. It felt very like, we're just going to give you the memo of what you need to know instead it, of giving him, giving him the feels. It felt cartoony, which it literally is, is at the beginning. It is at yeah. the beginning, yeah. Yeah. But when I think about like great Christmas, spe- I know you just did an outro, but you know when I think about really great Christmas specials, I think about the UK Office Christmas special, which is a double feature, yes. Yes. and it's... Both a Christmas episode, a reaction, like David Brent's like reacting yes. to the first two seasons, and it has like serious character consequences for the people and like ends the story. I'm like, there you go, like that is yeah. Christmas content that's heartwarming. David Brent learns something yeah. at the end, and like, you know, and it resolves the story, it resolves yeah. the love story. I'm, I'm, I, we should move on. Let's do it. If you had, did you already do that? I did that, but, yeah, but, Hello, but if you didn't hear us two minutes ago, you know what to do, right? In. My lukewarm reaction to Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special mm. aside, it is December, it is Christmas time, and we didn't really talk about Christmas films last year that much. So I just thought, let's just take not. a minute to, at least on my part, to show that I do care about Christmas. I do enjoy Christmas watching. If you're going to say, to, if you're going to go home with your family and you want to put on a Christmas film, what are you, what are you putting on? Oh, um, like the generic ones that go on is the holiday is very much adored. Oh God, you do like that, don't you? I I, I enjoy it. I feel like now it's gone through its cycle of being like resurged from when it came out. And now I think it's becoming tired again. If I'm I'm really analyzing it, but I appreciate five five to 10 years ago, it had like cozy merit. Yes. Um, I've kind of tried to explain this to you before and I don't think anyone will ever understand, but Home Alone 3. Home Alone 3? No, I've mentioned this to you before. I have. With Scarlett Johansson in it? Uh, Yes, with Scarlett Johansson and um, it's weirdly cozy. It's weirdly good. Uh, Look, am I going to say it's better than Home Alone 1 and 2 on my film podcast? No. 
but is it better than anybody has given it a chance a chance for? Yes. Okay. It is. I mean, I'm not going to. Macaulay Culkin, not in it. Did I care as a kid? No. Home Alone Three is funny. All right. All right. Home Alone Three is good. I, I can't. I can't mention anything else to it without going into it. I'm not going to do it. But um, the the brief was a big fan of Home Alone <laughs> Three. Um, why go on? What is your what are your go to? I think. I think. Um, so we do like sound music, Mary Poppins, which aren't directly Christmas films. I know, but, but that's the thing. There, the... Is a, there is a demarcation between Christmassy films yes. and Christmas films. So I think the one we need to talk about, the elephant in the room, the one we love the most, and we've mentioned throughout the year, is The Grinch. Now, we've done spatterings of The Grinch, and, and you and I are in universal agreement that that film is incredibly funny, incredibly so layered, weird, and much funnier and smarter than anyone gives it credit for. And, and 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 funnier than I would ever. I, fa- I found it funny for different reasons as a child when it came out, and I find it funny for completely different reasons yes. now that I'm a grown up. It's one of the great underrated Chris. Jim, sorry, Jim Carrey performances. Did I say Christmas. A Christmas, <laughs> Christmas performance. <laughs> a Chris um, Carrey. Um, yeah, I, I agree, and I think that um, the problem is the Grinch. That the first ten minutes are really strange and weird yeah. and wacky. It's really, really bonkers in the kind of way like early noughties films. Just and work. everyone's got weird noses. Yeah, and it's it's, bit, it's a little bit grotesque. It's very familiar, yeah. but also completely different to anything yeah. you've ever seen before. Um, and it I just Doctor Seuss world, so everything's a bit. Heightened and strange from the illustrations. I was trying to think about how much the the Grinch has permeated my life. Like, just on like an everyday level. It's not just like we watch every Christmas. It's like, it's referenced in my family all the time. And I pulled up, I just went through like some like Grinch quotes. I was amazed at how many have, you know, like I said, permeated my life. So obviously in lockdown, there was the whole four o'clock, wallowing self-pity, 4.30, stare into the abyss, five o'clock, solve what hunger, tell no one. (laughs) Six o'clock, jazzercise. 6.30, dinner with me, I I can't can't cancel that again. (laughs) I'm booked. And then it's like seven o'clock, wrestle with my self-loathing. Of course, if I bump the self-loathing to nine, I could still be done in time to lay in bed, stare at the ceiling and slip slowly into madness. It's just so good. And the other thing as well in lockdown, the, the quote I referenced a lot was, uh, am I just eating because I'm bored? bored. When he smashes the, eats <laughs> yeah. the empty glass bottle. I, I like the one when he sees his uh, his godparents back in the town. Oh, He's yeah. like, are, are you, you still living? <laughs> Again, we came back from a uh, uh, holiday once and we'd, we'd forgot to organize that the front pots, that we forgot to ask the neighbor <laughs> to water these two trees we had in the front garden, right? And we came back and there'd been a heat wave and they were still alive and literally pulled into the driveway and I just went, are you two still living? Um, James and I went out to a uh, social event last week and the social event, we found out more people were coming uh, like two hours before and I immediately messaged him with the Grinch gif that said, but what will I wear? (laughs) And James, of course, replied with, but what if it's a cruel prank? What What if if it's it's a a cash bar? bar? Um, and obviously when he's Endlessly trying on the clothes, applicable. I know. And when he's trying on the clothes, he's like stupid, ugly, out of date. <laughs> if I can't find something nice to wear, I'm not going. <laughs> There's also the, like, I don't know if you mentioned these, but physical ones where he goes to get the tablecloth oh, on yeah. the table and perfectly rips it out and all the cutlery just stays there. But because he's the Grinch, he can't let that happen. So he just runs back and dishevels it. It's so good. Or like when they're feeding him all the food oh, yeah. and they, they just point this like, it's like a mixture of colored paste and he just <laughs> looks at like, well, this is not pudding. What is it? And then they come up with another one and he's just like, yeah, no. Um, there's also the- um, so I'm not making it through. No, it's brilliant. <laughs> and you know the, um, 
You know the uh, the bit when he's like he's alone in his chair and he's like, I've got all the company I need right here. <laughs> Hello! Hello! <laughs> the echo brings it back, right? You know, I asked you first. I saw, I'm um, an idiot. Yeah, you're an idiot. I'm an, you're an idiot. Oh, that's smart to say exactly <laughs> what, what I say. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. But um <laughs> well, I've got to whisper. So by the time the sound travels back to my ears, I'm not going to hear it. Um, <laughs> and that's it. When when we were younger, right? Like if I ever made a joke, oh, no, but no, 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 no. Oh, sorry, I, sorry, I was funny, on. but like if I ever made a joke and it didn't land very well, or I said something and there was a silence, my brother would let it hang and then go, "You're an idiot." <laughs> um, and I mean, just quickly, some other ones that stayed. Um, there's the whole um, when he when he when he <laughs> crashes the. The, the, his test is slay, it crashes into the wall and he gets out and just goes, airbag's a little slow. <laughs> I like it when he's in the mail room in the beginning oh. and he's just doing like really minor Grinch crimes, which is taking everyone's post and rearranging yeah, and this it. Is it. Like, now it's yours. And now it's yours and yours is his and his is hers and yours is hers. It'll take them years to figure this out. And then he's just like flicking him in. He's like, jury duty, jury duty. <laughs> Blackmail, hate slip. <laughs> And I and I do that now when I when I get posted people and I bring it in I'm like jury duty jury duty, um, yes it's gone straight through. and and also I um, hope people are understanding this yeah, and following I, I, the I'm references. sorry this is completely in- intelligible but as you can tell we really really like this film and, and also like I mentioned it before incredibly underrated Jim Carrey performance I think when people talk about the great yeah. all time Jim Carrey performances they'll go to liar liar yeah. eternal sunshine eternal sunshine eternal sunshine Truman Show yeah. no oh, Ace Ventura yeah. no one. No one mentions the Grinch. Yes, I agree. It is criminal. He sat through like um, torture levels of makeup Hours. every day. And sometimes a full body. I yeah. can't even and it's, imagine. And, it, and, and he still commits the very physical, oh. the very in-depth with Jim Carrey performance. The, the whole bit where he realizes that he can get Max's dog to be Rudolph. And he does this whole bit where he's like a director. And he puts the nose on Rudolph. It's like, okay, here's the deal, kid. Your name's Rudolph. You're like, all the other rangers don't like you, but you want to like lead Santa Slay tonight. <laughs> Action! <laughs> Guys, I'm really sorry if we've ruined this film for you now. Max, where's <laughs> my cloak? Brilliant. Please check it out. I know it's weird, but uh, I love it. And then when they brought out like the um, you know, the animate the illumination animation with Benedict Cumberbatch, the illumination ago. animation, the illumination animation, and I thought, no, I didn't see it. I'm sticking with Jim Carrey. No, I don't. I didn't think you need to. That was a bit uh, hefty. But other there are other Christmas films. Um, yeah. I would say I I actually always. I'm happy to watch Die Hard because same. You know when we talked about Bruce Willis earlier in the year, we went through his filmography. We talked about Die Hard three and stuff. Yes, like, like Die Hard, Christmas aside, is incredibly well executed, efficient, uh, entertaining. Watched it last year. It still film. works. Brilliant. The Christmas element in it does work, and it is a Christmas film. It's all about a guy. It's all about that. I mean, people been, people know, have been saying this for yeah. many years. Um, it's all about a guy trying to reunite with his family for Christmas. It <laughs> really Come out to is. the coast, get together, yeah, we'll have a few laughs. Um, so I'm always happy to watch that. If you like Die Hard at Christmas time, there is a very funny sketch by uh, people called Rigor, Rigor Tortoise online. And it's about other people being on the walkie-talkie frequency the same night as Die Hard. Oh, so it's like a kid gets a walkie-talkie for Christmas. He's playing around and it's like, Al, Al, do you call me? It's like, hello? And it's like, class? Who said anything about class? <laughs> no, I said a boy in my class. Anyway, check it out. Right, that's funny. Um, love that. And... Do you have any more? I'm going to give a passing shout out to Trading Places. You're Trading oh Places fan my, with yeah. Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy. Really great social satire. I won't go deep into it, but it's mm. like broad strokes. They try to 
manipulate this guy by taking a Wall Street banker and switching him, uh, we're played by Dan Aykroyd, and switching places with Eddie Murphy, who's a, a black homeless man. And yeah. it's all about the, the, the comedy between that. Yeah. Great Christmas film, all about sticking it to the man. Yeah. Two incredible comedic yeah. performances. If you ever have just been like wondering how good Eddie Murphy was back in the day, go and check that out. And I'm gonna, I looked at a lot of Christmas lists and I thought, okay, well, everyone knows that one's good mm. and that's a classic and that's one for the oldies. And I thought I'd choose one which I looked and has a 14% on Rotten Tomatoes, no. which is criminal. This, film, this Christmas film stars Michael Keaton. It stars Mark Addy and it is Jack Frost. Oh, now look. Wow. wow. 14%? Hang on. Just, just, just tell people what this film is. Jack Frost, know. you may know. 2003 film. 2003. Michael Keaton is a musician who's never home for Christmas to see his son. He has a very distant relationship and he always promises he's going to go and see his son's ice hockey game. Oh. And he's playing in this band and he's been given this great opportunity and it's Christmas Eve and he's going to miss Christmas and everyone's gutted. But he says, you know what? Screw it. I'm not going to go. I'm going to go home to be with my kid for Christmas. And what happens? He crashes and he dies. Oh, and it's got an amazing uh, moment where Landslide by Fleetwood Mac plays. And he basically <laughs> uses... Um, oh, sorry. Before he dies, the dad gives Jack Frost a harmonica. And he says, listen... Jack, the, the, oh, sorry. Uh, is, oh, sorry. What is happening? Sorry. Before, he, before Michael Keaton dies, he gives his son the harmonica that he uses in his band. And he says, listen... I know I'm not going to be here for Christmas, but you know, whenever you play that harmonica, I can hear you. Right. Wherever I am, I can hear it. And of course, Michael Keaton goes on to die. And this little boy, Charlie, who's 13, decides to make a snowman for Christmas. And he always used to make a snowman with his dad. And what's really hard is that he can't lift the really heavy pieces of snow because he usually has his dad to help him. But despite that, he struggles all through the night building a snowman without his dad and he puts his dad's hat on it and he puts his dad's scarf on it and he puts all the buttons and the carrot stick uh. nose. And at night, he's crying in his bedroom because his dad's and he's playing the harmonica. And what happens? His dad yeah. comes to life as the snowman <laughs> and Michael Keaton is the snowman. And look, it's funny, it's heartwarming, but when I tell you we watched it last year and you had a bunch of adults in the room sobbing. No way. This, the fact that this is a 14% on Rotten Tomatoes, not that I take those ratings seriously, is an absolute crime. Wow. It is so underrated. If you've ever had daddy issues or you just have a heart, <laughs> this will absolutely rake you down. I watched it last year. It is good. Do not sleep on Jack Frost. Okay, that's amazing. I would say if, 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 a, if a snowman came to life in my back garden and it had the voice of Michael Keaton, I would be terrified. Not because it's a talking snowman, but it's Michael Keaton. And that, that's a significant part of it where he's like, I don't believe you're my dad. And he's chasing him around and no one believes him that the snowman's alive. Well, what, what happens with the, when the snow, winter is... Oh, I know. No! It's all about learning to let go. And he teaches him how grief. to... He was meant to teach him how to do this like shot in ice hockey and he never got the chance to. So now he's back, he's able to teach him. And he's like, hey, like, why did wow. you stop playing for the team? He helps him confront his school bully. He helps him start studying again. It is wonderful. It's all about growing up. It is all about coming of age. It's about letting go. It's about love. It's about masculinity. It's fantastic. I really feel like, um, well, that's one for the poster. I really feel like the high concept folksy films mm. um, were just, you just don't get those made now. No. They're either like- With Michael Keaton? Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> wow. Yeah. A star vehicle. Mark Addy's in it as well. It's a nice comic relief. He's okay. good. Yeah. As an American. No, he's a British and American, but he's like a sort of rock band sort of guy. Oh, yeah. He's sort of like, like a tired you know, Oasis uh, member. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. Wow. That's. I, I'm definitely maybe going to watch Look, that. I'm not saying it's five stars. I'm saying it I just was just deserve flicking through, and I said instead of just talking about all these films everyone knows is good, I'm going to just give a shout out to the criminally undervalued Jack Frost. Okay. That is all, George. Well, my my last one is a film I've referenced in passing from time to time throughout the year, and I have to say it now because I'm going to just wanted to give it its proper fair dues mm. uh, moments which is 1960, Billy Wilder's The Apartment. And the reason I bring it up is that it is a film that is simultaneously a Christmassy film and a Christmas film, okay? And what I mean, it straddles that line. How, how, explain. It's Christmassy in the sense it's an old black and white movie and it's, 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 it's cozy, sort of holes. It's cozy, Exactly. And it's a Christmas film that the events take place over Christmas and the days before and are running up to New yeah. Year's Eve, okay? Okay? Yeah. Feet in two camps there. Here's why... Uh, the Apartment is so good and how The Apartment made it onto Sight and Sound's best 100 films of all time list recently. So here's the gist. Jack Lemmon, who's in his you know, early 30s, is a very hardworking uh, um, office bod in New York, Manhattan, does something like accountancy. We see him at the beginning, I've mentioned this before, these rows of desks and he's just typing away nonstop. And he's very industrious because he's a bachelor. He's got no home to go to really, no, no family to, to, to look after. So he works hard. He's very amenable and he narrates the beginning. He's like, I work in the CCC building of the blah, 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 blah. And it's all very sort of bureaucratic and faceless. But he's, you know, happy-go-lucky kind of guy. How he gets ahead in, 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 in the world is that he stays later to work and in so doing, he leaves his uh, key under his mat for his apartment and he lets all the senior executives at his company use it as a place where they can take their mistresses to, okay? And you have this scene, for example, he gets home and he's late and he's tired, but the the, the one of the, the execs is still in there and they're still playing the music and he has to wake outside, he has to hide. And it, like they come out and they're still holding the champagne flutes and he's just like, leave the key under the mat. It's this very sort of comedic thing. You've got these overstuffed, really sort of joyous executives and Jack Lemon, brilliantly played, is just downtrodden in his little um, you know trench coat. And he's saying, and he sort of pulls the guy aside and says, I've, I've got a terrible cold, please can I get inside and just light up? And he gets in, he has to tidy up and everything. So that's his life. He will just rent out, his, not even rent it, he will just let uh, senior executives have access to his flat. And in so doing, they always take a shine to him. Oh, hello, Baxter. Very good to see you again. Uh, uh, you, hey, you did that favor for me that time. I'm, I'm looking forward to you. Hey, your review's coming up. And that's always happening uh, in the chatter. Now, classic 1960s, there are these long queues for the lifts. And you have the, li- you have the um, I don't know what you call them, lift ushers. Um, and... I'm just Googling the apartment film. Keep going. One of the lift ushers is played by a very young and very... One of the lift ushers is played by a very young Shirley MacLaine, who plays Frank Kubelik, who is sparky, funny, witty, uh, a little sarcastic. And they have this conversation in the, in the, in the, the, the... lift going up and he just completely is completely taken by her and he finds her really funny and they clearly have a nice bit of warmth and then uh he thinks okay i'm gonna take a shine to her however thrown into the mix and what's unbeknownst to jack lemon at this point is that the very very head the ceo of the company fran kubelik is his mistress okay so the girl he likes is the top executive who, who will give him the promotion he wants wow. so you have this kind of um love triangle anyway that's the kind of setup and the reason it's a really interesting film is that you have this kind of fun first act where there's a little bit of Christmas parties, there's some, you know, some dates, it's kind of the activity in being in New York City. And then unexpectedly, out of nowhere, the second act goes somewhere very dark. And you, and, and, and you think, oh, I did not think this film would go there. It completely works, doesn't derail the film at all, but it makes it so much more interesting, gives it so much more depth with this, moment, this bit of darkness in the second bit. And then 
it's a film also that explores those weird days after Christmas, but before New Year's. And it's about loneliness. It's about isolation. It's about um, how men can't express their feelings. It's about how men use women. It's about how the disposability of Christmas is uh, extended to people. It's about how um, uh, men of power are uh, tactless. Um, And it's about... um, <laughs> that sounds great. That sounds like loads of things. I, was just, I, I, I thought you didn't need to thing. say that many. <laughs> oh, why did I do a rule of three? No. Um, um, you had so, you know, it's sweet, it's heartfelt, but it's poignant as well. And it's got a real sort of like dark, bitter edge to it that really imbues, makes the, all the relationships in it much more interesting. Very witty lines, in it, as you expect from Billy Wilder. Now, and I watched that and I'm like, you can watch this. If, you don't, if you're not into Christmas films, that's fine because you can watch this. It's just a great film and you can watch it any time of year. But if you are in a Christmas mood and you want to watch a Christmas movie, you can put that on because that has the emotional highs and lows of a Christmas movie at very high quality Mm. delivered to you. That's another value in a Christmas movie that works outside of December. What's that? Like I was saying, it's good if you can watch a oh, Christmas yeah, yeah. movie outside. Exactly. Like Die Hard, you can yeah, watch Die Hard, you can watch it. Outside. But some, like some the people, holiday, maybe not. Some people would say that makes it not a Christmas film, but I, I, yeah. I, but yeah. I would say the quality is very good. So um, if you haven't seen it, and also particularly relevant because we've talked about, yes, seeing older films reaching further beyond mm. than the horizon. You know, no streaming platform this Christmas is going to be pushing the apartment to you. No. It might be on BBC iPlayer at a push. Yeah, they, they usually throw a the load old of old stuff on there, don't they? Which is quite nice. It's genuinely one of my favourite films. So, of all time. So Sounds fantastic. Uh, I recommend if anyone has time this Christmas to watch The Apartment, you'll be in for a treat. And you would have ticked off one of the lists, one of the films on the BFI Science Sounds top 100 films of all time. The only thing you're going to see on a streaming site is Drax and Mantis like. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> <laughs> what are we going to do? So there we are. I mean, James, any others? No, I'm quite happy with that. There, there are so many you can talk about. Yes. And I think everyone's Christmas is a little bit different. I'm going to be watching West Side Story this Christmas, yes. even though it's yes. not necessarily Christmas film. It's, it's Christmas Eve. Absolutely. So oh, it's sort of back yeah, and forth. Totally. And I'm very much looking forward to that. I'm going to sort of gather the family and be like, let's, it's for everyone. Let's all watch. And do you know what? We had an email uh, recently about how we're, we're never, you know, we're never really that mean because we always try and be constructive when we talk about films, which yeah. would be true. But um, we haven't read this email out, but it came in. And we did do, in our early days last year, an episode where it was like the worst films we've seen. And it was me basically going through all the films that I really didn't like in yeah. the past like five years. And uh, this emailer really enjoyed it. And so just for, in honor of that, I will bring it up again because one, one Christmas film you do not have to see is Last Christmas <laughs> with Amelia Clark, um, which is apps absolutely dreadful a really really awful two film. years ago yeah 29 yeah. oh three my three. god it came out in 2019 um uh, 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 it just does not work i'm very sorry amelia clark again me trying to be constructive really goes for it yeah really constructive i mean i know i'm repeating myself I you can go back year. to our uh, if you scroll way back to the beginning of our feed you can find george's yeah. amazing rant on that film i didn't enjoy being so negative but my god <laughs> garbage anyway that's it but anyway, there you are. Those are some Christmas films. Be interested to know what you guys watch this Christmas. Please write into hello at popkitchenpodcast.com and tell us what you're thinking of watching or what you like to watch. As always, we would love to hear about it. You know what I thought was really, really cool and really snuck up on me? On. Was people posting their Spotify wrapped for this I year. Know. And not just being in people's top five, but being in people's top podcasts that we- they listen to. 
We feel the love. Completely forgot. Thank you for everyone who sent a screenshot or added us in their story. That's so cool. I couldn't post all of them on the Instagram, but I saw every single one of them. Thank you, as always, for spending your year with Pop Kitchen. It and means, it's so cool. Even if we didn't make it into your Spotify wrapped, we also know that we, 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 we really appreciate and it. And we hope we're there <laughs> next, next year. year. <laughs> Speaking of our fans, they write into the show to hello at popkitchenpodcast.com to send in their thoughts, their questions, their concerns, just like John did. John, John writes in with the email subject aliens question mark. Oh. And he says, hi, George and James. I hope this email finds you both well. Sure. I'm a big fan of the podcast. And as someone trying to brush up on their film knowledge, your podcast has been refreshing to listen to. Your views and opinions as well as perfect to find film recommendations. The Before series has even entered the watch list after George's continuous plugging. Thank Stay you. Stay tuned for that later. Uh, my question centers around sci-fi, a genre I'm not an avid watcher of, but love the creativity involved. From a recent rewatch of 2021, June the other week, I had the following question I'd be quite keen to get your thoughts on. When it comes to monsters slash aliens, I get so frustrated when they seemingly have two arms, two legs, and speak fluent English. Whilst I understand a bigger budget is required to do anything with CGI or prosthetics, it's always appreciated when filmmakers are ambitious of how they portray non-human life. My question is, what are some of your favorite depictions of alien non-human creatures? Oh. Some favorites of mine are the alien for the aptly named film Alien 79 yeah. and Monsters in the similarly aptly not titled Monsters 2010. Mm. I do, however, give pass to Meet Joe Black as it's a fantastic film where something never seems quite right with Brad Pitt's character and you sincerely believe his performance. Secondly, and a very short unrelated question, okay. what is your favorite way to watch a film? In the IMAX, cinema, or on your sofa? And do you have any film watching red flags, aka people eating snacks or talking throughout the film? Here's to another 50 episodes of Pop Kitchen and keep up the good work. Kindest regards, Jonathan. Right, Let's okay, start. We're going to break that top. down. So the so, first question is best creature design in well, science fi sci fi movies. But before that, thinking about aliens that have two arms and two legs and oh. seemingly more humanoid than they could be. Uh, no, I, you mean when you, I think it's more like, yeah, if you just get an actor to play, oh, I'm a creature. And yes. Uh, yeah, I see what you mean. I mean, I, I, I think what does work very well. It's when you have a creature that is almost humanoid. It's like mm. it's almost there, but there's something really off about it. Like, or maybe it's slightly enhanced. You know, in a way that 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 chimpanzees and gorillas and apes can be quite uncomfortable or yes. aggressive to be. To, you know, we told that. Do you remember the Louis Theroux story we told about? It's just like that. It's because they're humanoid and they're they're human-like, but they are different and they obey by different rules and the cartoon if you type in alien in the cartoon you get the big head big eyes long limbs yeah, kind of thing yeah. it's like yes that's sort of the stock image of an alien but there's something oddly eerie about yeah. how familiar they're like cold humans that aren't they have no emotion yes. i will give a shout out to that found footage scene in signs when it walks past the hedge. right yeah yeah one yeah, of the yeah. great the, the, the great scares in black and yeah. phoenix is watching the screen he's like oh yeah, he yeah. screams at the i will give a shout out to that um one particular non-humanoid alien thing that I quite liked is in Arrival. The sort mm. of hand, they sort of look like a hand mm. down sort of heptapod things. Those looked like nothing I'd ever yes. really seen that before. And I'll give a shout out to them. They didn't have mouths or faces, but they were sort of smart and communicated through like squid ink. I'll, I'll give a shout out to that. As I would say that. Example. I was actually going to say for humanoid ones, uh, Vincent D'Onofrio as the alien in Men in Black. Oh, with yeah. With the, the skin, you know, well, salt water. But he's an alien in the skin of a human. Yeah, I know, but it's more like, but you, you don't see the alien that goes into him. Yes, not first. till the end, so, yeah. So, 
but also good creature design for an ears. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Very good. Uh, I, yeah, I would. I don't have any one specifically. Obviously, Alien just kills it. And the thing, I mean, where do you go with the thing? Because the thing is humanoid at first. I mean, that's, oh, <laughs> yeah. that's really freaky. That's creepy. Yeah, no, the, the thing has got to be in there. The Truly. thing, it, cl- actually, clearly genius. on bringing that up, the thing is 40 years old this year, mm. right? I can't believe we didn't mention it. Um, and it is definitely a Christmas Eve film in the sense that yeah. it's just that winter you know, that just, I feel like I want to watch now because I'm, it's that bleak Arctic yes. uh, or Antarctic um, research center. And I, you know, in the Kurt Russell's line at the beginning, you know, first goddamn week of winter. Yeah. You might, if you've not seen The Thing, you, John Carpenter's The Thing from 1982. And even Get like thinking about how we do AI, which mm. is something we don't have, we, it's an amorphous concept. Yeah. And I think about the red glow oh, in 2001 yeah. or even the voice in her yeah and like how that it's, it's so human when you can picture it and it's a familiar scarlet handsome voice but mm. it doesn't really ever have a form but it, you understand its impact i feel yeah. like alien and ai are always weirdly kind of like a similar theme next question yes is what is your favorite way to watch a film you mentioned the imax cinema or sofa any film red flags what's your favorite way to watch a film that's really hard to answer actually mm. because it changes every time. It changes on different films. Every time. I, I, I have seen films where I've gone, I've gone to the cinema and seen films and thought I could have watched that at home. 100%. And I've seen films at home and I've thought, I wish I'd seen that at the cinema. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously seeing something in IMAX is always great. To have something so loud and so big, it's just pure immersion. What's mm-hmm. not to like? I tell you what's not to like is if you're James and I's height is the uh, seat size at the BFI IMAX. Mm, not great. A little bit, yeah. Um, <laughs> Thing is, I do. I'm, I'm cautious to say this, but I don't mind watching films at home. Okay, me neither. I like it. I like the comfort of my own. T- I like the fact it takes out less time. I don't have to commute to a cinema to go and see it. I, I, it's, it's, it's cheaper. I can watch it um, more easily with other people. But there is the ego death of going to the cinema. It's so good of being um, the immersion trapped in the. You know, I sometimes think if I sit down to watch a two-hour. Or pick any of those films on the um, Sight and Sound f- yeah. list, right? A lot of those are old films, a lot of those are foreign films, but the pacing and the whole construction of film is completely different. Would I have the patience for one of those films if I watched that at home? Or would, it, or would I actually have more patience if I'm watching it locked in at a cinema? Mm. I've paid for my ticket, no, I have to watch in. it. It's yeah. right there, it's the best conditions, it's big, it's writ large. If I try and watch those films at home... You and I have also spoken briefly about the process of taking yourself to the cinema mm. and what the, how that's like like a weird foreplay for what you're yes. about to watch. And then afterwards, taking yourself home with the only thing that you remember watching is your film and you're sort of processing it. I mean, like, it's very easy to say, oh, go see it in IMAX, spend big money on the ticket. But I, I also think it depends on the experience. It depends mm. on whether or not it's actually properly done that way. Otherwise, I think... I think it can be a bit of a, a waste of money, except when it's properly formatted, and then it's like the only way to see it. I would say if you're really into film, like we uh, try and use the benefits of both. Actually, it's like we mm. live in an era where we can watch so much content. There's so much stuff out there. Yeah. So at, for, at, at home, home viewing, we've got so much access. So use that to your advantage and watch as much as you can. Yeah. But always, always try and make an effort to go to the cinema throughout throughout the year. Yeah. Just to balance it out, you want to make sure you have a like a, a, a rounded viewing experience. You can say. Oh, I've watched some stuff at home and I, I really enjoyed that. I've watched that at the cinema. I even went to, oh, maybe I went to a, a 
live screening of this thing. Yeah. We went that just Keep and not rich. just to go and see Tenet or a Marvel yes. film. Like yeah. find a comedy you think's really up your street and laugh with other people in the cinema. It's way more fun than laughing at home. Also, I love going to the cinema to take a chance on a film that only I see. Going to the cinema yes. on your own oh, is fantastic. what a joy. Oh my God, one of my favorite things. If you're ever scared of going to the cinema on your own, don't be. It's one of the most like therapeutic, mm. like like mentally uh, stimulating, stimulating yeah. and sort of calming things you can yeah. do. It's just for you. Very quiet, yeah. very peaceful. I don't have to worry about whether the person with me is having a good time, if they're enjoying it, if they're no. being disturbed by the people talking behind it because it's all on me. It's, it's absolutely fine. You I get know. your snacks that you want, you don't have to share them. So just, I think in a way, it. yeah, I, I think the best way to watch a film on my own yeah. in the cinema <laughs> early in the morning. Naomi writes into the show and says, firstly, Naomi put screenshots of her Spotify rap showing that we were her top podcast Yay. of the year. So love that. Naomi, thank you so much. Engel says, hey guys, I love your podcast and it's the only good thing about Wednesdays. So oh, thank wow. you. Oh, that's that. very kind. Yeah. Very sweet. Hump Recently, day, am I right, guys? <laughs> yeah. Recently, I catch myself more frequently to watch two hours of TikTok instead of watching a movie. Mm. Usually, I start a movie and get bored after a while, even if there are really good ones that I already haven't watched. TikTok makes me very impatient, and I wanted to know if you guys experience the same. And do you think that someday TikTok will ruin movies like this? Also, my number one most listened to podcast on Spotify review of the year. Um, <laughs> so, look, the TikTok, the, which TikTok is like the bogeyman that's always sort of brought out. The thing is, with TikTok, it, is, it can stealing. be incredibly dangerous in terms of your attention span. I'm not saying dangerous. It is the crack cocaine of social media. It is. And it is It is not. It is, it's just easy to get lost in it. It's not any um, deficiency in you as a person. It's like it is literally engineered and designed to, to hold you captive with your attention for it as long as possible. Spending two hours on it, I, I, I just try and uh, not do that. <laughs> that sounds very exhausting it would be so easy for me to sit here and be like hey guys just try to catch yourself when you're doing it and Which is take I just a step tried to back say. but like i do this I all know. the time it's, i'm totally guilty of it yeah sometimes i get to the end of a really long day and weirdly this sounds terrible but the process of finding something definitive and official and long form to watch is almost a bit too much of a, am i really going to sit down mm. and commit versus I could just open my phone and see how long I get engaged for. And before I know it, I've lost my evening. But do you not Whether feel it, sometimes when you've had a very long TikTok deep dive, rotten. you feel sick. Like you, I've done. You feel almost like nauseous. I think it's like if you have a really fun weekend with friends and you've exhausted all of your conversation, social battery, dopamine, and it's just been a constant fun nonstop yeah. thing. And you get to the end of that and your battery is drained. Yeah. I feel like TikTok is like doing that in, in, in sped up. And I think it's just like a dopamine drain of, so, of things. I, I don't have an answer. I think I, I wouldn't worry too much about it draining your ability to watch films. I think yeah. I think just <laughs> no answer. Just try not bad. to go on it while you're watching a film. And the thing is, I still think the way we engage with short form, short form content and long form content is still different. So there's hope for. Cinema. Be careful out there, guys. Yeah, be careful. Enjoy, I mean, time. for the love of God, we're on TikTok. We need you guys we to follow us. Grow this show on TikTok. Um, so absolutely, it's fine to use. My it. girlfriend will careful. delete the app entirely when she knows she's got some shit to get done that week. She mm. just goes, "I can't be trusted to have it there. If I know I have to re-download the app, it's like a bidding defeat." Mm. This next one's from Kane. He says, "Kane here, hey. a re-listener from Bristol." Had to jump on and share the news. You're featured in my top podcast listening hours on Spotify rap for the first time. P.S. Can't wait till you're properly number one next year. Best wishes, Kane. That's not an email. That's just him telling me he's the number one. So, Kane, thank you. Sorry to read the number four, but I'll read that. This last one is from Callum. 
Callum. Callum says, hi guys, loving the pod. Been a fan ever since those creepily accurate Louis Theroux impressions. <laughs> Expanding on the, on the question of film traditions from the last episode, I just wanted to add in my film tradition, which is that every year on Christmas Eve, how fitting, me and my family always go to the cinema together. Mm. We started in 2013 with Frozen brackets, which was not what we thought it was. We were expecting an Ice Age kind of thing. <laughs> and we kept it going every year since. With this year, we're planning on seeing the new Avatar film. George, thoughts? Do you have any Christmas movie traditions? Is that not his question? No, no he's got further on. Just to... Oh, um, first of all, I love that. Um, Lovely. Uh, and, and that's when Chris, that's when cinema can mean the most when you're bringing mm. people together. And, and everyone comes to, with their family. It's almost like an event. Uh, You've not got work. Like, I, I think, I hope like you're not like yeah. burdened with responsibilities. Things are kind of wound, wound yeah. down a little bit. Everyone's a bit more relaxed. I am. Um, I haven't gone to the cinema on Christmas Eve. I think, I think, I, I don't know why, but um, mm. I have definitely gone around that time. And it's special, like, even if it's a film you don't really care about, it's just something like that me, my brother, and my mum went to see Mary Poppins Returns. You know yes. what? It was all right. It was all right. It was all right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, carry on. He then links an article and says, also, I wanted to see your guys' opinions on this article from The Guardian. The article basically talks about the slump of the box office this autumn period and some of the reasons for it. One, one interesting point it talks about is that a lot of films being shown in cinemas aren't always the most commercial and that some films being sent to streaming would be a lot more commercial in cinemas. Some of the examples it gives includes films like Bros, Glass Onion, Disney Stranger Worlds, etc. Would you guys agree with this point? Are some films being pushed to streaming and they should have theatrical releases and on the reverse? Should some films be given theatrical releases just be pushed to streaming? Cheers, guys. Callum. Very interesting question considering that email we just had prior to that about yes. the best way to watch a film. I mean, obviously, Glass Onion is different because that got it's getting too much of the cherry. It's getting a, getting a cinematic release and yep. then it's coming out on streaming as well. Um, <laughs> the thing is, sometimes when you see a good film, you, you want... I never want to deny someone the opportunity to see something at the cinema yeah. because that is a very unique space. As you, as we've talked about before, yeah. after that very brief or even long run in the cinema, even if something's in the cinema for six months, which is like crazy long, after that it exists on the small screen forever. In perpetuity. No matter how much yeah. you can say the cinema is the definitive way, yeah. chances are a very small fraction of your audience will yeah. actually experience it. Just like want that. to remember, remind people that there was, there was an era of, of cinema attendance, of, of being a film lover, where... To, to watch a film you love, you'd have to, um, you know, get the, the cinema listings of all the local cinemas. And yeah. if you lived in, let's say, like London or New York, you'd find the cinema, the picture houses that worked for you, and you were looking for the thing, and they might go, oh, we've got a, a, a print-in of yeah. John Carpenter's The Thing, a bad example, um, uh, this Fellini film from the 50s, which yeah. no one showed, and, and you think, oh my God, I have to see that, because that hasn't friend. been shown in a cinema since, even if it was like six months ago. There were only four channels on TV. Exactly. Your opportunity to re-watch films was completely limited by how how and when picture houses Your could show them. Yeah. Um, what was I saying? I was saying... Um, uh, well, like there are... Sorry. I feel like there are far too many factors that jump like that contribute to whether or not a film does well or badly in the box office mm. and i think my main point for this autumn winter period is that there's been so much competition mm. we've said it many times there's so much to see right now mm. i'm trying to see films every week and i'm almost like not seeing everything mm. and i'm really into my film so if someone mm. who's not really in is going to pick and choose a lot more mm. and you're competing with everything that's on every single streaming service. Yeah. I think we're definitely in an interesting position where streaming services are experimenting, like you said with Glass Onion, with doing, do we, we've got this property, do we take it straight to our streamer and get subs? Do we want to enjoy the, the money that we get from ticket sales in the box office? Do you want to put it out for a bit, take mm -hmm. it out, bring it back on? I think COVID sort of completely 
acted as a catalyst and mm. a layer of what people wanted to do in that space. And I don't, th I still think everyone's really trying to figure out what the box office looks like mm. after COVID. Cinema ticket prices have definitely gone down, but have the audiences returned? Was, there are too many things to kind of factor in. I, think. I was also just thinking of a film like After Sun, which we reviewed last week. Is that like that's a tiny little British film that um, not, you know not a lot of people would have gone to see, but it's important if you want to grow talent because unfortunately there's this, there's this sort of I think perception in the industry that you know Charlotte Wells, who made that film, she's want to obviously will want to continue her career, and on paper it's like, did your film? Oh, your film showed in cinemas. And then obviously it's going to live in a streaming service afterwards. But if yeah. your film just comes out on streaming service, it's almost like slightly Direct less prestigious. DVD. Yeah, it's got a slightly less prestigious thing. And also if you just release something on streaming, it has a much greater risk of just being dumped and buried on the carousel yeah. and not being championed in its correct way. I mean, it's like we talked about before about what Martin Scorsese was saying, that like yeah. the cinema is a curated space that celebrates film. So um, I, I think on your point about there used to be a sense of urgency, like if your cinema was showing something like that was it. Yeah. And I almost feel like one of the great things about technology is that we don't have to literally digitize film prints and get them distributed mm. around the country. Like this is a file. It's a yeah. .mp4. That, I don't yeah. think it is, but like literally it's, a, it's yeah. a digital file that if they wanted to could be immediately shared. And I think if someone goes, oh, I missed that in cinema, but now in three months, it'll be on Sky, it'll be yeah. on Netflix and you can just say, I'll catch it at Christmas. Yeah. Because do you know what? I've got plenty to, plenty of stuff to make myself busy with in the meantime. I want to watch Succession. Yeah. I want to watch The White Lotus. I know. So yeah, it's too many factors, too many things. But there you go. Those were all of the questions we got this week. Thank you, as always, for writing in. You can do. If you want to write a question, write in to hello at popkitchenpodcast.com and we will do our best to read it out on the show. Okay, George, as always, we end Pulp Kitchen with a game to varying levels of success, especially if I'm the one playing it. But I'm resurrecting a game from a while back now okay. that I think our old Pulp Kitchen listeners will be happy to see return. Cast this countdown. Okay. I'm going to read you the cast of a film in sort of from order of least importance to most importance. And you have to tell me what film I'm talking about before I get to the end of that list. Got I'll it. leave a sort of three to five second gap in between each member. And you do better the sooner you get it. Or with the fewer number of cast members you can yeah, know about. Sure. Are you ready? Let's do it. Oh, I also want to say a special thanks for to Gav Murphy because we nicked his format from Keyword Countdown. You can follow at RKG if you want to check out his stuff. But this is cast list. Okay. Countdown. Are you ready for the first film? I am ready. George, you have to guess the film from its cast. Ready? In three, two, one. Sky Ferreira. Okay. Flea. Uh, um, um, uh, Isaac get, Gonzalez. Get him to the Greek. Uh, Flea. Uh, um, uh, Baby Driver. Yes. Very good. The next one you could have got was John Bernthal. Yes. Jamie, Mr. Cameo. Jamie Foxx. John Hamm. Lily James. Kevin Spacey, Ansel Elgort. That right. was Baby Driver. Okay. Found a Baby Driver? Um, I liked it the first time I saw it in the cinema. The second time I watched it, I liked the first half. And then by the second half, I was like, oh, this is a bit silly. Seen actually. it once, liked it, didn't love it. Yeah. This next one, sure. I've only got six names for you, so I hope you get it. Ready? You have to guess the film based on its cast in three, two, one. Danny Huston. Danny Houston. Um, Connie Nielsen. Okay. Lucy Davis. Oh, I know this. It's Wonder Woman. Yes, yes, it is. Next one you could have got was Robin Wright. Yeah. Chris Pine. Gal Gadot. Right. Very good. Very good. You could have also included David Thewlis in there. 
Oh, yeah, I didn't put David Thewlis. David That's what, I swear Thewlis. I wrote it out. David Thewlis. Ready for this next film? Yeah, I'm going. I'm, George, I'm you're doing very well. well. You know, test me, please. How are you doing? Are you beating George? I doubt you're beating George. Ready? Next film, you have to guess the film. Yes. You have to guess the film based on its cast. Ready? Three, two, one. Daniel Mays. Okay. Mark Strong. Oh. Okay. Andrew Scott. Um, Colin Firth. Richard Madden. Um, 1917. Yes. Next up is Benedict Cumberbatch. Dean Charles Chapman. George McKay. Great cast. I didn't. I don't remember Daniel Mays being in it. Yeah, he is. I, I'm not going to get it up, but he's in the yeah, thing. Yeah, he's yeah. In I there. like Daniel Mays a lot. Yeah, 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 he's good. Next one. Okay. I'm um, James, you know, I'm, I'm not good. sweating at all. Not sweating at all. Ready, George? You have to guess the film based on its cast in three, two, one. Toby Kebbell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Edgar Ramirez. Okay. John Leguizamo. John Leguizamo. Natalie Dormer. Oh. Penelope Cruz. Penelope Cruz. Brad Pitt. Uh, Cameron Diaz. Is this the counselor? Yes, it is. Oh my God. I've never seen that, but. <laughs> what a cast. Toby Next up is Javier Bardem and Michael Fassbender. Toby Kebbell, Edgar Ramirez, John Luxamo, Natalie Dormer, Penelope Cruz, Brad Pitt, yeah. Cameron Diaz, Javier Bardem, Michael Fassbender. I've heard that film is absolutely terrible. I've not seen it, but it turns out a good cast. <laughs> if there's one thing this game tells you is that a good cast won't necessarily help you. I think you. that is the worst film my mum has ever seen. Oh, is it? Yeah, is she went to the cinema to see it. That's one for the poster. <laughs> the worst film my mum has ever seen. Pulp Kitchen. Ready for your next one? Oh, let's do it. You have to guess the film based on its cast. By the way, that Ready? was a Ridley Scott film from 2013, just in case people didn't know. Yes, sorry. Thank you. Anyway, one of Cameron Diaz's last films before she retired. God, that is a shame. Yeah. I hope she comes back. She's great. Maybe, yeah. This next one, I just got to say what it is. <laughs> Ready? Yes. You have to guess the film based on its cast in three, two, one. Brian Blessed. Brian Blessed. <laughs> okay. Kira Knightley. Right. Peter Serafinowitz. Okay. Samuel L. Jackson. In the same film as Brian Blessed? <laughs> Jake Lloyd. Jake Lloyd is in... Liam Fant- Neeson. Wait, wait, Jake Lloyd is in like Phantom Menace. <laughs> yes. What? Liam... Anthony Daniels, Ewan McGregor. So Kira Knightley plays Padme's oh, yeah. doubles. I think it's Sabe, right. which was a great way to throw you off. Peter Serafinowicz is the voice of, voice Darth, of Maul. Darth Maul. Right. Samuel Jackson makes Windu. Jake Lloyd plays Anakin. I, why didn't I say Phantom Menace then when you said it? Because I thought, oh, I should have. Why did I? And then I had to put Anthony Daniels further down because he's a massive giveaway. When you for said Star Wars. Jake Lloyd, I knew that was Phantom Menace, but I just didn't think. I thought <laughs> you were describing a different film. I was like, Jake Lloyd made another film <laughs> with Kira Knightley. No, <laughs> uh, walked right into that one. No, but you got it. You got it before the end. Ready? You have to guess the film based. You got three more. You have to guess the film based on its cast in three, two, one. Rick Tune. I beg your pardon. <laughs> Rick Chu. John Cleese. Okay. Samantha Bond. Right. Toby Stevens. This is, James, I know this one. 
This is 2003's <laughs> Die Another Day. Yes. Next up was Rosamund you Pike. You love bringing up Die Another Day. Halle Berry. I brought it up like once before. You did it with the director. And one, yeah. Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, I did. Because it's got yeah, you John it. Cleese. You're like, it. what? Playing Q. I do. Yeah. I have a soft spot for Die Another Day. Yeah. Good rounds good, good this week. I mean, yeah. You're getting your games this week. <laughs> You've got seven rounds Christmas. So I, <laughs> Merry Christmas. I'm fine. Yeah, cool. Okay, well. Ready? Yeah. Oh my God, there's more. Okay. Oh yeah, there's two more. There's goodness. two more. Oh goodness. Okay. Ready? You have to guess the film based yeah, whatever. on its cast. Did my sleep. Michael Clark Duncan. Uh, that's it. So it's not the Green Mile. Benicio Del Toro. Oh, James, it's Sin City. Yes. Yeah. Straight Come in. James. Next, you could have had Nick Stahl, Rosario Dawson, Alex Bladell, Alexis Bladell, Clive Owen, mm-hmm. Jessica Alba, Bruce Willis, Mickey Rourke. Yeah. Sorry, mate. Last one. Yeah. Come on. Not even to sweat. guess. Not even sweating. The film based on its cast. Toby Maguire. Right. Bill Hader. Oh, okay. Danny McBride. Mm. Jay Barrichell. Jay Barrichell. Oh, is this... Um, Matthew this, McConaughey. It's not This Is The End. No. Matthew McConaughey. Jack Toby Black. <gasps> What's this? Uh, Tom Cruise. Is this um, Tropic Thunder? Yeah. Hang on, Toby Maguire's in it? In the opening trailer with oh. Robert Downey Jr. You know when they do the fake trailers? Do you know what? I've only seen that once. And I really think if I watch that Next now- Next up was I, Robert Downey Jr. and then Ben Stiller. I think if I watch that film now, I'd enjoy it much more than when I was younger, actually. Because I, I think, think there's much so more of a s- satirical commentary about um, uh, Hollywood and being an actor and what you're entitled... The whole Matthew oh, McConaughey yeah. storyline about getting you what you're entitled to it's as just, an agent. Yeah. I, it was very interesting. So uh, Robert Downey Jr. went on Joe Rogan and spoke about that film. And Joe Rogan was like, can we just talk about Tropic Thunder for a bit? And like, obviously, like Robert yes, Downey Jr.'s yeah, role in it. And it's so funny hearing Robert Downey Jr. talk about it. And he's like, you know, I just shot Iron Man and I didn't know if this was going to be the end of my career. <laughs> but... That film came out and everyone was upset about Simple Jack. And I was like, fucking amazing, fantastic. <laughs> and he got off scot-free. But that film, oh my God, yes, takes some right. real comedic leaps. Right. It, it, I think it's still funny. I've not seen it in a really long Did you time. Put Steve Coogan on the wow. list? No, I it didn't. Steve Coogan. There was the... quite a lot of actors on there. I could have gone on for a while. But um, wow, yeah, I need yeah. to see that. I remember that some of that came out and everyone was talking about Tom it. Tom Cruise being in there as a secret cameo. Yeah, and I remember that... Uh, because then later, when Boyhood came out, there's a bit where in, in the actual 2008, he's like, the best films that came out this year were Dark Knight, uh, Pineapple Express, and uh, Tropic Thunder. And she doesn't get into any of that. And I'm like, oh my God. I loved how it did the uh, fake trailers in the beginning. Yeah, There yeah. was such a wonderful way like, into that. film I loved did a fake trailer at the beginning of is um, Austin Powers' Gold Member. Yeah, The yeah, whole action funny. sequence at the beginning where it's yeah, Tom Cruise, good. Gwyneth Paltrow, yeah, and then it's good. Steven Spielberg at the end. What did you think, Austin? I thought it was great. <laughs> Where do you stand on Austin Powers? Not seen it in a really long yeah, time. I'm not sure it's so dated very well. I remember watching The Spy Shagged Me as a really, really yes, young. Yes, and thinking, oh my God, I've had like a comedic awakening. Yeah. This is like truly <laughs> Or he drinks level. the shit instead yeah. of the coffee. Oh my God. I've uh, it's like a sleeper and I was like, oh my God, what is this? I've not, I think I, think I would have seen Gold Member like within a year of that. I right. cannot imagine what it's like to watch now no but who am i to be snobby about thing, it moment we, in time we uh, uh, they were quite popular in my household growing up yeah. and not the first one never the first austin powers no, i never remember funny. that well but the yeah spy shagged me and gold member and there are again that's actually a film that still gets referenced to there's a bit there's yeah. a gag in gold member that always makes me laugh which is that 
uh, Mike Myers and Minnie Me sneak onto the submarine, and they're like, they need to, they're like, we need to get a disguise, and they open up the like the locker room for where the the, the villains, you know, henchmen uh, are, and they see they've only got one uniform left. And he goes, right, well, one of us will have to go on the other's shoulders. And he goes on mini-me's shoulders. And you've got these tiny little legs. And my mind's like, oh, excuse me. And he's like knocking, he's like trying to balance. Such My favourite is any time someone's taking more than like three movements to Parallel Park. I'm like, oh, Austin Bowers <laughs> yeah, yeah, parking scene. Yeah. Like and that's from the first one as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's from the first one. Uh, also, my favourite line in the third one is that, yeah, how about no, no you crazy Dutch <laughs> bastard? There you go. Pop culture just lives on, doesn't just it? Just continuing forever. As always, guys, thank you very much for listening to an episode of Pop Kitchen. Don't forget that we post new episodes of this show every single Wednesday. And as you know, guys, plenty of us to digest on in short form on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube Shorts now as well. If you subscribe to YouTube and follow this channel, you can get a microdose of us as YouTube Shorts. Um, please rate us, like us, Follow us, Tell recommend us, recommend it. us, please. That'd be great. Yeah, Reviews, that'd be awesome. Uh, be amazing. We've had, I don't know what we've had. I don't know why I started that sentence. I keep I hope doing everyone's that. everyone's having a nice December. Yeah. I hope everyone is not too busy with work. Hope you're enjoying yourselves. Hope you have a good Christmas. Yeah, like the lags, guys. Yeah. Take, take the break you need. Plan some time off. Watch some fun films. Yeah. We've got some hopefully really cool stuff coming towards the end of the year as we yes. say goodbye to another year of Pop Kitchen. But um, yeah, it's Stay been tuned. a good one. See you yeah. next week. Thank you. Goodbye.